Hello, this is Dr. Jim Van Curen, here today to tell you a story about Ohio history that's been neglected for many years. For the past 33 years, my wife and I have spent our summers at Putten Bay, South Bass Island, where my wife had a boutique called the Puddle Duck Shop for over 20 years, with both daughters working their way through college in the shop. My youngest daughter, Christy, met her husband on the island while he was an Australian exchange student at Sandusky High, and my oldest daughter, Michelle, married her husband on the island. I often heard islanders talk about prisoners of war at Camp Perry, located near Port Clinton during World War II. This piqued my interest and I started to research all of this. The outcome of that research was my book World War II POW Camps in Ohio. What I discovered blew me away. There were over 425,000 POWs in the United States during World War II, with the majority being Germans, some Italians, and some Japanese. At Camp Perry housed 6,000 POWs at a base camp and 10 branch camps. One of the major problems that military officials encountered with prisoners of war coming to the United States was transport transporting them all over the country. Four states did not participate in the camps. That was Montana, North Dakota, Nevada, and Vermont. What I found is that there was little or no knowledge about the camps during World War II. I have to give credit to my research to Peggy Dybin, curator of the Ottawa County Historical Museum, and Steve Cooper, head of the Civilian Marksmanship Program at Camp Perry, assisted me with all of this research and gave me plenty of data to look at and re review. The Ida Rupp Public Library in Port Clinton was an archive of newspaper articles that I utilized as I did my research. I dedicated this book to the men and women of Camp Perry. Here to talk new arrivals of POWs coming into the United States. 1942, we started to have POWs arrive in our country. Mid-August of 1943, we had over 130,000 POWs scattered across the country. And I said that before, uh, mid-May of 1945, we had 425,000 POWs in our country. This created logistical problems, finding camps, and those kinds of things. The other problem was discipline with the German POWs. Often there was rebellion within the camp and our guards had to take action immediately to make sure there wasn't any rebellion. The War Department decided to block the POW camps in 250-man blocks, where they provided showers, latrines, and mess halls to accommodate the POWs. Another major problem was finding supervisors to supervise all these folks to coming into the country. We were short on manpower, so we had to rely on Italians and Germans, those that were favorable to our country, to be help in supervision. Let the Italians go unsupervised, because they were co-belligerents and, and became part of fighting the Nazis and Japanese. But guarding the Germans was another story. We had to be like diplomats, and we had to understand the German way of life, given that they were against our country at that point in time. So it was a major problem in trying to mesh personalities together, so work got done. POWs, especially those that went into industry, were trained, and script was given at 80 cents a day. Non-commissioned officers didn't have to work, and they were given $5 to $10 a month. Commission offers same thing held true. They didn't have to work and they were paid 20 to $40 a month. The Geneva Convention said that POWs were not allowed to work with bomb making equipment or war kinds of things. But the Scioto Ordnance Plant in Marion, Ohio let POWs be in the assembly line as they assembled bombs together to be sent overseas, which really was against the Geneva Convention. We focused on a re-education program across the country and we tried to instill the values of the country, our country, in democratic values and culture. Uh, we had history classes, English classes, all geared toward our way of life. We used newspapers and other materials furnished by the government at those camps. Eventually, Camp Perry used their own newspaper and did those kinds of things. Italian service members were allowed, given lots of freedoms, because they had become co-belligerents. So often they became involved with dating, social activities outside the camp with no supervision. 
One of the observations that I can make from all of this as these POWs came into the United States is that, first of all, we again, we had problems finding camps. Some camps had tents, some camps had barracks, but there was a mixed bag across our country. The real problem was intimidation by the German POWs in the camps, especially those hardcore Nazis against anti-Nazis in the camps, which often led to rebellions and strikes. And the Italian co-belligerents were fun people to be with. They worked well, uh, not, maybe not as hard as the Germans sometimes, but they were co-belligerents and didn't cause the problems that the Germans did. So this was kind of a mixed bag, lots of problems across the country. We did a good job of managing. Given an overview about the new arrivals to the United States across the country, Ohio's Camp Perry was situated perfectly on Lake Erie, kind of isolated from everybody, and 760 acres, where the POW camp was carved out of 32 acres. They established five-man, 16-by-16 hutments with wood-burning stoves, which was 256 square feet. It had been a training center, an induction center during World War II, so it was an ideal position to be in. Fencing was nine feet tall, and they had 11 guard towers around these uh, camp. Uh, prior to the POWs coming to Camp Perry, there was large athletic fields that were constructed, and when the POWs came, movie theaters were put into place, athletic outlets, and a recreation hall was put in where folks played cards and other games. The first POWs to arrive at Camp Perry were Italians, and they arrived in October of 1943, and there were several hundred of them. Uh, they had established oh, as a co-belligerent, so they were given pri some privileges right out of the box. Uh, they were known for their bright teeth, and people would say in the newspaper that they continually brushed them. In June of 1944, several hundred Germans arrived, while some of the Italians then were transferred to other camps. At one time, there were both Italians and Germans at the same location, but a road separated the two groups. The Germans that arrived were Rommel's former Africa Corps. They were hardcore Nazis and had ages between 16 and 40. They developed barbershops, bakeries, shoe repair shop, two canteens, and a carpentry shop. They kept their uniforms and they wore them until they worn out. Uh, they were allowed to also keep their Africa Corps hats. They enjoyed immensely and would continue to repair them. The Germans had a dislike for 3-2 beer that was given to them, but loved Coca-Cola. November 1944, they became the sole proprietors of Camp Perry with a close to 3,000 POWs from Germany. By 1945, Camp Perry and its branch camps housed close to 6,000 prisoners of war. Salina had 294, and they were open for a short period of time to harvest tomatoes. Defiance had 237 Germans and used mainly for business and industry in the area. Believe it or not, Fort Wayne was a part of the Camp Perry branch camps, and they had 901 POWs, which did a lot of supply work. Marion, Ohio, had 520, where they worked on rehabbing equipment and machines. Columbus Depot was by far one of the largest. They had 434 POWs and 10,000 residents that worked in shipping. Wilmington was open for a short period of time. The 126 POWs, where they harvest hog, hogs, and corn. Uh, Bowling Green had 330 POWs, where they harvest uh, tomatoes and worked in canneries. The Ordnance Depot in Rossford had 676 POWs, which worked on supplying vehicles. It's interesting to see that also there were two hospitals that were under the auspice of Camp Perry. Trial General Hospital in Parma, Ohio, had 295 POWs, and they treated over 15,000 wounded soldiers during World War II. And most interesting was Fletcher General Hospital. At one time, I was a school superintendent, and the area never realized that Fletcher General Hospital during World War II 
was a center for POWs, plus a major rehab center and trauma center in the United States. And the Cambridge, Ohio facility treated over 17,000 wounded soldiers and was noted for the trauma center and rehab center for those particular soldiers during World War II. As I stated before, in November of 1944, the Germans became the sole occupiers of Camp Perry. Italians were moved to the Rossford Ordnance Depot, and the remaining Italians were moved to the Erie Proving Ground adjacent to Camp Perry, which numbered about 1,000 Italians working at the Erie Proving Ground. It proof-fired and shipped overseas 70% of our mobile artillery uh, for the United States and Allies. More than 90,000 of all units and calibers were shipped, uh, which is really tremendous on the part of the, uh, the United States. For more than three years, an average of 50 railroad car loads were shipped daily. And it's interesting to see at the start of the Battle of the Bulge, 117 car loads went out in a single day. Most interesting were the number of people working there. There were over 5,000 people working at the Erie Proving Ground, plus over 1,000 Italians. To make room for that, there were 200 barracks erected for the prisoners of war, movie theaters were conducted, and cafeteria for the POWs was erected. To house all the workers, the federal government created the Erie Gardens, a federal complex of 259 prefab two-family homes. Other residents in Port Clinton housed workers, which seemed rather extreme at the time. Dormitories were built on the Erie Proving Ground to house the workers. The 1,000 POWs housed at the Erie Proving Grounds had some interesting sidelights. In a newspaper out of Port Clinton entitled Date Hut at the Erie Proving Ground, it read, August 1944, a date hut was established whereby guests were entertained by the Italian service unit members. A cafeteria, recreation hall, and reception hall were available, plus rooms furnished as close to home as possible. There were three smaller rooms for entertaining one to two guests. Local girls could use these rooms if they they had dates, and the parents could use them to visit the girls and dates. Very interesting at the time. You can see privileges were abound for Italians who had become co-belligerents for the United States. I did come across the administrative building that's now closed, and it had three simulated burning flames engraved in stone above the entrance, which I believe may have symbolized the burning flame of liberty, em emblematic of the Statue of Liberty. I did discover some environmental concerns that were left behind. Uh, the EPA has removed 8,900 non-explosive ordinance from Lake Erie, with 1,400 potentially being explosive. A Northwest Ohio EPA report read, contaminants known and suspected in Lake Erie and the surrounding soil are directly related to chemicals used in the production and firing of ordinance. They also had a landfill there, which I believe new buildings were built on top of it. I saw one building sign which read, danger, keep out, danger, chlorine. What about the other buildings on the site? The Erie Proving Ground was essential to the war effort. It housed 1,000 POWs and more than 5,000 residents to keep the plants going. Today it's an industrial park with a few buildings scattered around and the power determined by wind turbines, which the real plaza is really important.